Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Plain Accounts Weekly Podcast. I'm Alicia McClintock, and I'm here not with my regular co-host, Ben Kramer, but with a guest co-host, Megan Madsen. We are so excited um, to give Ben a break while he's on sabbatical and also to continue to provide this resource as a helpful lectionary study tool for all y'all. I have invited Megan to co-host with me, one, because she's a phenomenal preacher, a creative scripture reader, and also because she has been working with some of these lectionary texts and can offer a unique perspective from her ministry context. Megan, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners for a second? Uh, Sure. Um, Yeah, as Alicia said, my name is Megan. I am um, serving currently as um, the lead pastor of Hayden, Idaho, uh, True North Church of the Nazarene on the Northwest District. Um, which also means that I am one of the three lead pastors of Kootenai County Connect, um, which is a unique ministry model um, in which um, our three Nazarene churches in the county are coming together in really significant and important ways to do discipleship, mission, funding, um, discipleship, everything you can imagine. We do that together and we believe that we're better for it. So I'm really excited to be a part of both my local congregation and this larger connect. Totally. And then even beyond local congregation, larger connect, denominational kind of resources and engagement. So happy to have you in a multi-tiered way (laughs) today. Um, Our scripture for today is from Matthew chapter 20. It's one of Jesus's parables of the kingdom. And Megan, you've been working through some of these other um, scriptures from Matthew, and then particularly with the lens of the Sermon on the Mount as kind of the coat rack onto which they all hang. Um, Ben and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And so I just want to remind our listeners to keep some of that in their minds before we come to the text today. Um, I'll be reading Matthew chapter 20 from the NIV today. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Okay, Megan, where should, where should we start when we approach this parable? Do you have maybe some thoughts about connecting it to some of the, the other scriptures you've been preaching through kind of leading up to this? Yeah, so um, in this section in general, um, Jesus is drawing on all of these parables saying the kingdom of heaven is like, um, and the one that um, immediately comes to mind is last week's, um, this past week's um, gospel lectionary, which comes from chapter 18, in which Jesus describes, um, starts off by saying, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like, and tells a story of the unforgiving um, servant who is forgiven um, what is in the Greek language the highest amount of money that can be described linguistically. 10,000 <laughs> talents is an unfathomable amount of money and debt. It's like um, a gazillion trillion dollars. It's like not yeah. a thing. Yeah, like 10,000 is the biggest number in Greek. Talent, A talent is the biggest monetary value in Greek. This would take 200,000 years of labor to pay off. Um, for like a servant's wages and when he begs for more time which just is so stupid it's so silly like <laughs> give me more time I'll pay it off next Thursday I've got it in the bank boss um, the king actually the, the owner um, actually forgives the entire debt and cancels it and then he goes out and runs into somebody who owes him 100 days wages and he has him thrown in prison and we see this parable in which Jesus is talking really about forgiveness mm -hmm. and about um, those who follow him are called to forgive insurmountable debts, um, unforgivable things, because we have been forgiven unforgivable things, mm -hmm. but that are also called to forgive the things that are forgivable, but difficult to forgive, that are costly. A hundred days of wages is a lot of money. That's a third of a year's salary. Yeah. And Jesus says that to not forgive that kind of a debt is unfaithful and will result in being thrown in prison as well. And so this reminds me so much of our, of our parable today um, because Jesus is talking about money again. Jesus mm -hmm. is talking about servants. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven is like the king who owns all this land, the landowner um, as God who practices ridiculous generosity Mm. Um, for us by our standards in order to show us what the actual values of the kingdom of heaven are um, and shows us that the very foundation of the kingdom of heaven is so different from our world. And the foundation of the kingdom of heaven is forgiveness, mercy, and restorative justice. Yeah. Um, and we see that become a really important um, theme through this parable of the vineyard. Totally. It's fascinating how much Jesus talks about money. Um, in in the ways that it's like a litmus test for our priorities and it's it's a way that Jesus gets at our hearts really quickly right like it's mm -hmm. it's a knife that cuts straight through all of our kind of pious excuses the second Jesus talks about what are we going to do about money what do you do when somebody owes you money or when you feel you are owed something how then do you respond and the call of these parables it seems to me is that Jesus is painting a picture of what God's reign is like, God's reign of light and love and peace and justice, and about how God responds in those situations. And it seems like Jesus is using these ongoing teaching moments to say, 
because you belong to this kingdom, you behave the way that God behaves with that like generosity, with that justice, with that, um, that forgiveness, with that like extravagant, scandalous kind of generosity. Um, and that's hard. That's, that's a hard message that rubs us the wrong way for sure. Absolutely. And I think one of the other ways that we see that really clearly is that in both of these parables and in the teachings in between them and before them, um, that Jesus is constantly talking about um, what his followers are supposed to do. Totally. Um, and so this is all led in, this entire section is led in by Jesus, like the transfiguration on the mount, and then Jesus saying, hey, by the way, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified and killed. And yeah, also you remember. have to take up your crosses, right. And you, and yeah. like, again, highlights, and you have to take up your cross to follow me, which all of a sudden the disciples are like, wait, that wasn't a metaphor. Like <laughs> you really expect us to like be crucified. And, and the rest of us say, yeah, Jesus, we thought this was a metaphor, man. Yep. Um, and then in, right. And so we see Jesus constantly expecting that these servants, um, these slaves, that these workers are expected to reflect the character of the landowner, of the master, of the right. owner of the vineyard. And um, that Jesus has this expectation in these parables that they're not supposed to just act like everybody else. But they're, but what's interesting is the characters in these parables are responding in the same way that we are like, I would say the same thing, right? If someone came in at the end of the, like the end of the work year and gets paid the full salary, I'd be like, guys, what are we doing? <laughs> and yet, um, and yet Jesus is saying like, no, 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 that makes sense here and now in this world and in this reign, but in the kingdom of God, that's the outrageous claim. Right. That you should be paid more. You should receive more because you did more, which has me thinking about this idea that I think in our culture, we've added a fruit of the spirit as hard work. Mm -hmm. um, like the how Protestant often we say work, work ethic. Work ethic, right? Yeah. Um, yet nowhere is that in the fruit of the spirit. We're not... Yeah. I, I think this is so fascinating because, um, so like to dig down into some of the nitty gritty language of our, of our parable, um, Jesus is telling a story about a landowner who says like, I promise to pay you what is right. I promise to do what is right. And for some reason, this landowner doesn't think it's right that there are people without work. Right. Um, and, and that, that takes me back to, uh, God's original good creation where, where there, there is good and meaningful and fulfilling work to be done, which God assigns to humanity to, to do, right? That, that there is something, I think, about like doing good and meaningful work, but it isn't the kind of ladder that we have made it to be, like you were saying, right? Exactly. We've, some, we've somehow like twisted it up inside of us so that we think like if we do more, we get more and suddenly we get to the top. And then it's like the Tower of Babel situation, right? Rather than doing the good and beautiful work that God has given us to do faithfully and attentively, um, we, we turn it into a competition about somebody getting ahead, about being the front of the line, right? That's a really right. powerful image here in this parable as well, that we've got the workers all lined up and they've told themselves the story that the front of the line is the place to be, but the landowner starts at the, at the back of the line. And, and I mean, like I get, I get frustrated in lines at the grocery store, you know, <laughs> like I got, I got some work to do like in my own heart. I'm not, 
yeah, I'm not innocent here in this space. Oh no, I'm the one that scopes out the shortest line all the time. (laughs) See, I try and then I always end up in the longest, like slowest line. I'm just terribly bad at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but that, like, that's, there, there is that sort of sense of frustration building in these people who have worked a whole day and, and yet it, we come to the end of the day, those hired at the 11th hour, which I quite like that phrase. Um, it doesn't come through in the, the English translation I read today, but those hired at the 11th hour at the last minute are paid just as rightly, just as equitably as those who worked from the beginning. Um, right. So, Which that word, yeah. as you pointed out earlier, is in Greek, the word that we derive justice and mm-hmm. righteousness um, And interestingly, um, the word justification, which for Mm -hmm. us Wesleyans is a very significant word in our theological vocabulary. And I think we've often divorced it from its actual Greek meaning that, and the same thing with righteousness. We talk about righteousness as a pious religiosity, and it's not. It's deeply tied to this word for right and justice. And it means the one who to be righteous is to be one who does God's right restorative justice. To be justified is one who has been a beneficiary and participates in God's justice working. Yes. Um, it's it's God's proper standards, it's God's actions, which are God's actions are always covenant faithfulness, right? It's God's faithfulness to God's promises to move all creation to new creation, right? And so what is just, what is right is that kind of covenant faithfulness, that righteousness. Um and 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 it's it's not what is fair, which is which is interesting. I think we get all of those kind of mixed up. What is just, what is fair. They feel kind of the same thing. I don't know about you, but my dad used to say, um, fair is what you pay on a bus. There's no such thing as fair. Life's not fair. (laughs) Uh, A former roommate of mine, her dad used to say, um, there are only two kinds of fair, a state fair and a county fair. You're not at either one. So get over it. (laughs) Right. Like (laughs) this sense that life ought to be fair, but that's, but that's the thing is that, that in, in this parable of justice, God is working more toward equity than toward equality or like, right. Or like, but I would even pull that string of fairness because yeah. I think, right. Cause like my mom said something similar, but something we can't say on the podcast um, <laughs> about life and its fairness. Um, but I think we only pull the fair card when we don't get something that we think we deserve or something sure. that we want. Yeah. Um, we don't actually pull the it's not fair card when it relates to issues of justice, mm. right? Like, I think particularly, like, because if something's unjust, right, then we say that that's not just, that's not right. We say it's yeah. not right. We don't say it's not fair. We say that's not yes. fair when we're 16 years old and all my friends get to go to this party or get to stay out really late. And I want to go too. Right. And my parents say, no, I can't take the car or no, I only have a daylight driver's license or things like that. And all my yep. other friends are doing it. That's not fair. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, to pull that string of saying, this is actually about, this is actually about equity and this yeah. is about this and about equality. And um, I think interestingly, we often only really talk about, um, at least in evangelicalism, we often only really talk about 
this passage and this teaching and this parable in relation to, like you said, the 11th hour conversion, right? Someone on their deathbed who confesses Jesus and they get to go to heaven and get just as much of heaven as the rest of us. And I think we've kind of been indoctrinated to accept like, well, of course, that's the that's the good Christian thing. We want everyone to get as much of heaven as they can, as much as heaven as I want, as long as they accept Jesus before that 11th hour is over. And that's not really what Jesus is talking about. Um, Jesus, I like if we connect this back to the previous parable, Jesus is talking about forgiveness, but Jesus is also talking about money and debt and and justice, right? That it is not our standard of justice to say forgiveness and mercy are the rule of the land. Um, yeah. Sorry, my dog is whining in the background. Um, but we look at this and this is about so much more than just the payment of heaven right. um, because that re- reverts it back to, we work hard here as dollars of Jesus to get a pie in the sky. And that's not what Jesus is talking about with this. No with the kingdom of heaven, that's totally backwards from what Jesus is teaching us about it. What Jesus is showing us is that the standard of the, the standard, the bare minimum of the kingdom of heaven is justice and equity, right. justice and equality, and not I, right. And not yeah. just you worked hard and you worked harder than them. It's oh. not about earning anything. Totally. And I want to drill that down into some more specifics, like from the language of our parable, the bare minimum of the bare minimum standard, the lowest bar for, for the kingdom of heaven is justice and equity. Um, and it is a fair day's wage for everyone. A denarius for, um, uh, for our listeners is yeah, the going rate for a day's labor. Um, and it translated into more or less a week's worth of food. So like it, it is right. It is good for everyone who wants and needs work to have work so that they can have food to feed their family. Right. Like that's, that's the, this is the bare minimum kind of justice that Jesus is talking about here. Right. That, that the, this landowner goes out to find folks who need work and is finding creative ways to get them what they need in a way that is, that is just in a way that is right. Um, and I think we, we too often can over-spiritualize some of the details of this parable and make it about salvation. And that's not wrong. Like, the, of course, the scriptures invite us to an understanding of hearts and souls and minds being transformed. Of course, that's true. And what's also true is that this, this parable is very much about, like, concrete economic justice, about like like fair wages for workers about people who need work getting work and being able to feed their families right yeah and if we take that also to um the question right well what is what kind of community is jesus cultivating in this because that's so much of what these teachings are about is is cultivating the church um and what kind of community is jesus telling us and calling us and inviting us to be out of this is a community that strives for, for justice, um, for meaningful work, um, for people to have wages that sustain them and are fair living wages, not just, um, and to be people who aren't pushing to be at the front of the line. Yeah. Um, because one of the key, pieces of um throughout the gospel of matthew that jesus is highlighting about this kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom of heaven 
values and lifts up and illuminates those that the that the standards of the world want hidden. The ones that the center of the world says are the least of these. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven actually finds great honor in the ones that the world shames. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it in the honor shame language of the um, of the first century world, that the the ones that the world says are not allowed or permitted in are the very ones the kingdom of heaven seeks out just like the kingdom of heaven values the one lost sheep over the 99 who stayed and celebrates the one being returned over the 99 who are faithful Um, and when we root ourselves in that understanding like our whole world is turned upside down because we realize that we are the ones who were least deserving we are all the ones at the end of the line at the at the back 11th hour no no matter how long we've been saved or following jesus we are all the ones who are least deserving and Mm -hmm. and and we were caught up in god's extravagant abundant generosity right and that ought to change how Mm -hmm. we respond to other folks who seem to us from our warped judgments least deserving right right which also um reminds me as i keep reading these last two sentences <clears throat> in verse uh, 15 and 16 or are you envious because i am generous mm-hmm. um that and then so the last shall be first and the first will be last um this reminds me so much of the prophet jonah mm. um and like his pity party that he throws and he says, like, I knew it, God. I knew you were just going to forgive the Ninevites. I knew you were going to be abounding in love and mercy and compassion. And, and you were going to forgive the sins to the hundred generations of the one who loves you. How dare you ask me to do anything different? <laughs> and, like, I just picture, like, we hear that on the lips, lips of Jonah, and it sounds so childish. It sounds like a t- toddler throwing a temper tantrum because you won't let them eat mud right (laughs) and that's how and I think we are able to distance ourselves from that because we don't uh maybe pray that way um and we it's really easy for us to say like oh I'm not envious of God's generosity and yet I think right that this is also about the inclusion this parable is also about the inclusion of Gentiles in the last days absolutely um which just as a reminder for all of us Biblically, the last days are um, from Jesus's resurrection until he returns again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are living in the last days and have been for the last 2,000 years, maybe for another 2,000 years, who knows? Um, (laughs) But that the Gentiles um, who, right, if we remember um, uh, in ancient Jewish prayers, uh, pray every morning, thank God I was not born a Gentile, thank God I was not born a slave, thank God I was not born a woman. Um, that those unholy trio, right, a Gentile, a slave, and a woman, um, we, good Jewish men, thank God they weren't born that way. And yet, those are the very ones that the Gospel of Matthew are bringing into the center and bringing in not just to the margins and saying, you can eat the scraps, but you come to the table and have places of honor. Um, And to remember, right, we so often in our, Protestant evangelical tradition are really quick to say, we're the Gentiles that Jesus brought in. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenge out of this text for the community that Jesus is building is also to ask, who are the Gentiles that we are excluding? Absolutely. Who are, who are the Gentiles that we're leaving until the 11th hour and just hope they figure it out and they can whatever. 
um, and leaving them to be last and, and pushing them to the sides and not valuing them because of what we think, what we think they've done or what they have actually done or what they do or what they, um, eat or whatever. And instead, I think what Jesus is calling us to is to form a community that says not, we are the Gentiles who have been invited in, but who are the Gentiles that we need to invite in? Right, right. Because as you had pointed out when we were chatting uh, about this passage before we went live, um, the, the people of Israel knew that this was their call. The people of Israel knew that God was blessing them to bless the world, to bless mm-hmm all of creation to bless the entire cosmos, but they were major procrastinators. They were, they were putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And I do think that a significant convicting moment of this parable is to say, who are we procrastinating on inviting? Um, Where are the conversations where, where we say, Oh, we'll get to that later. Like eventually we'll have those conversations, Um, especially as it relates to, to justice and inclusion in, Mm -hmm in the in the community um not that i have any answers or strategies but i but i do think the text calls us to to consider that in a meaningful way that that because god is moving all creation to new creation and that's here and now and it's for everyone what then does it mean to be the people who behave like be people who belong to God and therefore behave like God, like this landowner who seeks out those who, who are invited into the kingdom. Right. Right. Um, yeah. If, if I could brag on my, um, my congregation for a moment with that, um, I don't know, maybe some of our listeners remember the curriculum that was like the membership curriculum for a long time. Um, our church, your home. Um, I once had a conversation with Ed Robinson um, from NNU in which he said that while he was pastoring a church, um, a homeless man was attending for a while and brought up this curriculum and said, um, yeah, you guys, you Nazarenes are the people who teach like our church, your home. He goes, but you don't mean it. Um, And and he meant that very literally, right? That you have this building and I cannot live here. And you said it was my home and it's not. And he meant that very literally. And that conversation as like many, many years ago, like 10 plus years ago has really like really shaped my imagination to say like, we use a lot of this spiritualized language about home and belonging and family and labor and wages. But what if we didn't act over-spiritualize it? What if we really took it seriously? Yeah. Um, and when I, um, I've only been at my church for a little less than two years. And um, pretty early on, um, I got a completely new board, except for one person, um, as often happens with new pastors. And um, I just invited them to, um, gave them like a piece of paper and said, let's pray over the next couple of meetings about like what God is calling us to do as a people and who God is calling us to reach out to and all that kind of stuff. Like, what is God calling us to do? And each board member brought back like a list of things that they felt like God would on their heart. But they all kept coming back to this vision of we have so, um, we have a growing population of homeless persons in our county. Mm-hmm. Um, and we already have a ministry and outreach that feeds um, our homeless brothers and sisters. 
in um, in our downtown Coeur d'Alene area seven days a week um, and provides um, long some long-term connections to resources and different things. Um, but we kept saying like, we, we need to do more. We need to do more with our homeless um, siblings and with the homeless persons that are around us. And then this theme of housing kept coming up that there's not enough housing, there's not enough affordable housing, there's not enough this and that. And it kept coming up through every single, to a T, every single board member to a person said like this theme of housing. And so I was like, well, okay, so I've been here for four months and y'all want to tackle housing? Okay. <laughs> um, and so we started uh, praying and discerning and God led us, um, funny enough, um, to kind of renew this vision that had been started and had been abandoned in our community to create um, a tiny home um, housing opportunity for homeless persons. Um, which a few months before I started at my church, um, a different organization was trying to build a whole village of them out in this area where literally it only would have impacted like one farmhouse. And when they had to go to a rezoning meeting, like hundreds of people showed up to protest, like, and say like, you can't wow. have this here, like pitchforks, torches, drive the monsters out sort of a deal. Wow. And so my, my church board comes to me and says, we want to do this here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> this sounds really bad. Um, and this yesterday, this past Sunday, we had, um, so we've, it's been almost a whole year since we announced th this vision to the congregation and the congregation to a person was like, we, this is what God is calling us to do. Amen. Let's do it. Um, and so we yesterday installed and prayed over and, um, commemorated our first tiny house and put it like, it's on the back of the property now. Um, we got it set up. It's looking like a ho home. There's just some painting that needs to be done and a few like things like that. And then we'll finalize our documents and start accepting applications for transitional housing um, to have a person literally where we can say our church is your home. You have yes. a home on our church property um, to help them get into long-term sustainable um, patterns of being and get them applications to apartments and different things. And like all, like the whole day they kept like saying like, oh, Pastor Megan, you did this. And I was like, no, I didn't. I showed up and you guys were like, Megan, this is what we're called to do. And I was like, cool, let's do it. And that was literally, I feel like all I've done is just say, cool, let's do it for the last year and a half. Um, and I think that kind of imagination that looks at, right, if God has blessed us to be a blessing, we look around how many churches have so much property that is just sitting there in case we get a thousand people and a thousand cars on Sunday. What if instead of saying we're saving this for the thousandth person, that's probably never going to come. What if we said, God's given us this property. What can we do with it? God's yeah. given us this resource. God's given us this or that. What can we do with it? Um, and I think that's the kind of imagination that this parable calls us to, to say, absolutely. God has given us fair wages why did it those if if the issue is these laborers nobody invited them to work nobody gave them jobs what if at the beginning of the day the laborers had said hey we got a job you guys come too right um and i think that's the kind of imagination that um that this congregation has cultivated is to say we've been called to a fair wage why don't we call you I love that. I think that's so beautiful and so compelling and, and springs forth from this like, like biblical imagination, this kingdom imagination that Jesus is 
is inviting and cultivating here. I, I like as you're as you're talking and we're thinking about the, like those last lines of the parable. Are you envious because I'm I'm generous? I think if we find ourselves envious of God's abundant, extravagant generosity, we have not understood God's generosity to us. And if we have deeply understood God's generosity to us then we overflow with that to others. Um, and so, so it becomes just like a, a really urgent, a really urgent call to be rooted in, in, in that understanding of who God is and what God is up to in the world. Like that's the sort of thing that's the seed planted in the good soil that generates this kind of fruit that you're sharing with us about. Um, and gosh, what a great way to start a Monday morning. <laughs> Yeah, I've never been so tired on a Monday morning in my entire life. And it's like the good kind of tired that like we did good things yesterday. And I just need a nap. (laughs) But but that, like what we were talking earlier before um, and kind of generating some dialogue, one of the things you said is this image of the vineyard is so prevalent through scripture as God's space. And you asked the question, what does God do in God's space? And I think as we be, if we begin to ask that um, of the spaces that God has given us, has quote unquote paid to us, has gifted to us, mm-hmm. we will find um, the kind of imagination and the kind of vision that we see for the um, in the master of the vineyard. Yes, and then and then the the more deeply we know the more intimately we are connected with who God is and what God does in God's space, then the more the Holy Spirit generates that fruit in us and in our communities. Um, and, and so then, then we look like, like colonies or outposts of the kingdom right here in our neighborhoods, right? Where, where we, um, the more we understand God's vineyard and the way God is tending, um, to this new creation, the more we look around and see new creation right in front of us that we are also tending. Um, Wow, this has been such a fun conversation. I just love that I get to talk about scripture with my friends. (laughs) So I hope that this has been um, really meaningful for our listeners as well. Um, We refer you all back to our website, um, aplanaccount.org. There are stellar commentaries there. Please check those out, read them. Um, leave us some feedback on what you're thinking through, how you're preaching this. Um, any other kinds of like application moments that you're bringing um, to your people? We love to hear about how preaching the word cultivates your imaginations and um, and impacts uh, the the kingdom work you're doing in your own context. So let us know. Follow us on all the socials. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.